Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special mailbag edition. You know what? I don't know for how long I'm going to keep doing this mailbag, but I think it's always going to be very special. I've just decided it's going to be our very special mailbag edition, and it's no less special. It's even more special because I'm joined by the straw man himself, Mr. Andrew Page. How are you, mate? How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm very good. How are you on this fine Sunday? I mean, Sunday is, I think it's, well, can I say, I'm in the middle of a 10-day straight rain patch. I know we're in La Nina, officially now, the bomb said during the week, La Nina is here. And can I tell you at my place, it is going, it's raining for the last three days, it's going to rain for the next seven days. <laughs> so uh, even though this is, we're recording this on Thursday, as we always do, just to, to break the the, uh, the theatre the of the mind a little bit, mm-hmm. the illusion. Uh, yes, no, it, I, I, I'm sure my Sunday is going to be wet, put it that way. What about yours? <laughs> probably the same, probably the same. <laughs> All right. Hey, um, we have got some great questions and I'm going to up front ask people for more questions. So do me a favour, after I read out the socials and the email address, pause and send us your questions. We are going to pre-record, as I said last week, for some Christmas episodes, uh, some New Year episodes. I'm not sure how many we'll pre-record. We'll try and get a few out of the way just because the uh, good people at Southern Cross Austeria are going to leave. So we need an editor and a producer to do this for us. Uh, and then I probably, you know, we'll be drunk. No, I'm not kidding. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be busy or, or wanting some downtime um, during the Christmas New Year break. So we'll, we'll, we'll pre-record a few. And we'd love to hear your questions, comments, feedback, as always, all that good stuff. Um, gives us some content, uh, both. So that's interesting and helpful for us. It also means it's hopefully interesting and, and relevant for you. So if you want to do that, uh, send us an email, info, I-N-F-O, at fool.com.au. You can send them to me on Twitter or Instagram at TMFScottP, or you can send them to me on Facebook. The Facebook address is uh, facebook.com slash scottphillipsmoney. Um, if you go to the little messenger thing, you can actually message me from the page. You might have to follow me first. I'm not sure. Anyway, you'll work it out. Um, those are the three areas. So if you want to get in touch with us, they're the best ways to get us your questions and have them answered. While I'm here, no, I'm not saying don't send more Andrew, by the way, but Andrew's not in charge of doing that sort of stuff. That's my job. Uh, but you can white follow gloves, Andrew White on gloves social. here, mate. I, you know, I, so I get, I, uh, it's all white gloves from my white perspective. Gloves, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you get, you get the little people, people to do, do that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's right. That's right. That's what I'm here for. Uh, but, but do follow Andrew anyway. Don't send, well, I mean, Feel free to send him questions. He'll send them to yeah, me, I'm yeah, sure. send them through. Uh, but but uh, yeah, let, <laughs> send them to me. It's easier for him. But do follow him on social media. Go to sage underscore Simeon on Twitter or at Strawman Invest, uh, both great places to get hold of Andrew's latest and greatest. Of course, Strawman is the name of the company that Andrew founded. He is the founder and managing director of Strawman.com, which I'm reliably informed is a private investment club. Oh, I got that right, Andrew? You, you, you've been informed correctly, my friend. Yeah, you have. Only only twice a week for the last... <laughs> last few months. Uh, check out strawman.com. I should say on behalf of my business, uh, not my business, I don't own it, but the business I work for, also check out fool.com.au. It's the Motley Fool. Um, we are both investors. We've worked together uh, in the past. We've been mates for years. And now we get to do this podcast twice a week, which is lots of fun for me. A trial for Andrew, but he puts up with me, which I really appreciate. So uh, do follow him. You can also follow the Motley Fool on the socials, Twitter and Insta at the Motley Fool AU or uh, facebook.com slash The Motley Fool Australia. But yes, please do send us those questions. We want to bank some up. We want to get the best questions. If you do send them, send us some, they might take a couple of weeks to be answered, by the way. So do be patient. If anything's super, super timely, feel free to let us know. We can't promise anything, but if there is something you kind of like, I really, really need an answer for this, we'll do our best to answer it for you. Um, but yeah, let, let us know. Give us some questions. All for right. Sure. That's out of the way, mate. Let's get on to those questions because we've got some real, so we've got some really great ones. I said to you before we started, we've got some great questions this week. Um, we've got heaps, which is good. Let's start with the top one. It's actually not a question. It's some feedback. And I've got to say, this one was sent to us by email, but without a name. Uh, I did check with our member services team, Leanne, who does this for us, and uh, there was no name. But I will share it because it's interesting. Uh, it's also complimentary, so it's always positive. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here going, you're, you're just going to go on a massive rant about how ah. great we are. Is that is that uh, what you're going to do? Ish, I, ish. Oh, it always Hi, makes Scott. me cringe a little bit. Go no on. question for the pod, just positive feedback. After emailing a question to one of your peers, another podcast, and hearing their reply, I was once again reminded, not that I need a reminding, what a brilliant job you and Ram have done over the years. So there you go, mate. It's good for you too. What really hit home after my experience was how you fools really take us seriously, quote us in context and give us very thorough answers to questions. I guess the other one is a finance podcast and not per se an investing podcast, but I was shocked how they selectively quoted from my email 
either intentionally or unintentionally. There's something you guys have never done to my long-winded emails. They seem to just use my email as, as a foil to air their pre-held views about uh, and spout common market wisdom, such as leave it to the pros, you can't beat the market, you need lots of dough to manage your own super. They cherry-picked what they focused on in my email and seemed to slant their response towards don't manage your own super, your fees are too high and let the pros manage your portfolio because you've done well over four years, but you must have been choosing really risky stocks. They ignored that my fund had underperformed the market, that my fees include everything and are temporarily high because I've just established my account with net wealth. Either way, fellas, I'm steering the ship, he says. I wrote to you guys about my move to net wealth and the two of you were not fans of me doing that. The difference was that you answered each of my ill-informed questions as I had asked them and gave me cogent arguments as to the pros and cons of what I was thinking about. The outcome of your replies was that I felt better informed and a bigger fan, even though I didn't hear what I wanted to from you guys. After hearing the other one, I unsubscribed, no longer willing to manage the internal discomfort I often feel with the experts they had. Not their guess nor views are wrong or substandard, they aren't, but simply they are way too conventional for me. What you and Ram have always done is deal with our silly, uninformed and or misguided questions in a straightforward way that takes courage, causes you to cop some challenges and some intellectual curiosity. Thank you. Anyhow, he says, keep up the great work, including the rants, the tangents and the macro musings. Uh, no question, mate. And we don't want to poke fun or, or criticise our would-be peers or competitors. But um, I, I just thought it was – well, I want to cover this one now because that's what I'm looking for over the next few weeks for our mailbag. Those sort of questions that just, you know, if you've got a question, ask us the question. Um, I, it was very self-deprecating in his, his comments saying that there were uh, – what was the phrase? Uh, silly, uninformed or misguided questions. They never are. They're always good questions. Uh, but I just want to encourage people to ask whatever questions they've got, knowing that we'll do our level best to give them solid, straightforward answers. Might have a laugh or a bit of fun, not at your expense, just in, in general. Um, but we, we do try and do what, the best we can to help our – our listeners get a little bit more informed. Fair to say? I think you need to start a separate podcast, which, nah. is, which is just the self-serving congratulatory oh. emails. Is that, can I? Can I? I'm, I want I, you to I'm read out the bad ones, I, you know, because I'm sure they're out there and they're, they're probably more – I mean, it's very lovely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the listener to, to write that in. Definitely appreciate it. But, but yeah. uh, you know. <laughs> do you know, let's get to some questions. I, well, here's the thing, Matt. So, quick tangent. I share that discomfort, generally speaking. I shared on Twitter uh, Wednesday afternoon, evening, um, our share advisor track record. I'm going to say a little more about share advisor in a little bit of time. You worked with me on share advisor back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. We worked together on that service, and it's almost its 10th anniversary. In I think it's like two weeks from today is the 10th anniversary of share advisor, which is wow. very very cool. And I shared the. The, the market beating returns on Twitter yesterday or Wednesday night. Oh, congrats, mate. Well Thursday. done. Well, now here's the thing, right? So I hate doing it too. I really, really hate the victory lap thing. I hate big noting myself. It's cheesy and it's classless and it's just crap. Like, just, you, you know, you don't, you, I see it all the time on Twitter. People say, oh, I've done this, I've done that. Look how good I am. And I, just, I really, really hate doing it. And the only reason I've taken to doing it really selectively and as, as rarely as possible is credibility kind of matters and I can assume that people think I'm credible just because I think I'm credible because I think I'm credible. But if you don't know who I am, you've never followed me, you don't know what our track record is. I had some narc bag me on, you know, oh, is that the information you give your members, blah, blah, blah. And I don't really care that much except it's kind of one of those things like, well, hang on, you don't, you've never been a member of our service. You don't know what we do. You don't know what our track record's like. And I just thought, you know what? I don't, I don't mind being criticised. I don't mind people disagreeing with me. In fact, I like it as, as you do at Strawman. That's kind of the point, right? Mm. Um, but it's kind of like, you know, there's a, there's a whole different level that when it goes from that to, well, obviously you guys must be crap because. It's like, well, no, you, you, you know, you're having a bit of a, you're having a swing. It's, it's, a, it's a low blow. It's gutless and it's completely in ill form, right? And so I kind of went, well, look, okay, fine. I don't like doing this, but here's the track record over the last 10 years, right? Mm. And it was done specifically just to be able to put a, st- a stake in the ground and say, I, I will be wrong lots of times again. I'm no genius. I'm not perfect. But I'm doing an okay job as a – well, the team is, me, me and people who've worked on it, including you, I've done over the over the last 10 years, a pretty bloody good job and I, I'm pretty proud of it. And criticise me for whole lots of stuff, but you kind of can't, you know, you can't take a swing at the fact that Motley Fool must be terrible, I must be terrible for X, Y, and Z reasons. The, the numbers are literally there. So as I said, I do, I do it reluctantly. I do it as little as I can. Um, but I think it's also worthwhile, particularly in this really crowded social media and kind of attention space, to actually put some stakes in the ground sometimes. And so, you know, sharing sharing that comment was was part of that as well, right? It's just to reflect to some people who maybe aren't listening to the podcast or have only started or whatever. Say, hey, you know, we're actually hopefully doing some things reasonably well in some people's views. Not everyone's going to love us and that's completely okay. Uh, but sometimes you kind of got to say, hey, this is what we are. This is what we do. This is why we're trying to do our best. Yeah, that, that's that's 
that's cool. I, 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 I will say, <laughs> I, I will say that there, one of the red flags for me in, in our industry are mm. people who only do that. Um, yeah, exactly. I love this. I saw a saying recently. I forget who said it, but it was loud failures, silent successes, mm-hmm. and I love that. You know, it, it's yeah. it's it's the, the 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 person who's out there talking constantly about how good they're just sort of yeah, like, totally. well, no one's that good. <laughs> yeah, and, that's right. You no, know, yeah. it just makes me yeah. suspicious. Yeah. And then every now and yeah. again, you come across someone in our industry who they'll be asked a question about a stock and they'll talk about how badly they got it wrong. Yeah. And I just, to me, it just, it signals such a strong sense of self-awareness and humility. And I think that's just such a strong necessary characteristic in this mm-hmm. game. It's, it's very much in investing. Uh, the pride before fall moment is just notorious. Totally. And <laughs> that's what I'm, that's what I'm always scared of. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, um, a superstitious person, but I do think, oh man, if I do that in the next, next stock pick, I'm really going to really screw that up. Uh, it's gonna. I mean, it's gonna. It's gonna happen, right? And and I think it, what's really interesting when you do any investigation of any of the investing greats or people with long track records yeah, is to, yeah. to, you can't take that away from them. Yeah. But within that long track record, there were many periods of underperformance. Many. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, yeah. Buffett's Buffett's had a long yes, period Buffett, of underperformance. Yeah, absolutely. You yep. know. So it's kind of and and yep. but then you'll sort of read his annual letters and that, he just really focus. That's where he focuses on. Not on the things he got right, the things he got wrong. Yeah, and I just think I think anyway. Just it's a bit of an aside, but mm-hmm. I just I think I think that's no, important. People are right to sort of be skeptical. Some people get yeah. cynical, which is probably a <laughs> yes. step too far. Yeah, but yeah, just just a point worth making. But yeah, thanks yeah. thanks for the email. That was really nice. Yeah, I actually said that on Twitter by the way when I did that. I said, I said exactly that. Please question me. Please be cynical. Because frankly, there are some really crap people in our industry. <laughs> like, really, honestly, more, yeah. Like, so I'm, I'm glad yeah. people don't just say oh, Phillips whatever he says must be right. Let's assume he's okay. I'm glad you're like, well, that doesn't sound right. Like, tell me more about that, or I don't agree with you on that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I think I want you to be much, much more, um, much, much more skeptical rather than cynical, as you say. But yeah, I think there's, there's positives as well. Mate, let's yeah. go to the question. Yeah. Hello, says Adam, from the world's newest Olympic city. Uh, Adam, it might be the newest, but it's never going to be the best, mate. Why don't I tell you a summer ranch that Sydney was the best and I'm clinging to that with, for dear life. <laughs> uh, I love your podcast, Adam. Keep it up. I recently decided to move my super to a fund that allows direct investment into ASX 300 and ETFs after some high-level due diligence. In the end, I chose Australian super, high can star ratings, low fees, etc. However, after moving cash over from my old fund... It turns out they only have a limited set of ETFs available to invest in. Yeah. No, and he says ACDC, FANG, CLNE, whatever that is, crypto, QLTY. In fact, they only have two that I already own directly. Why do they don't include these well-known ETFs? Do kickbacks from selected ETF providers play a part here? Do you know of a super fund that allows you to invest in all Aussie-listed ETFs? Not via an SMSF, he says. Full on, and that's from Adam. Adam, I actually try to call Australian Super on this. I love Australian Super. I we they are a default fund at the full for full disclosure. Doesn't mean I have any best interest in it because we don't give anything out of it. Um, we just chose it for our for our team because we thought it was the best super fund for them. Uh, after considering a whole lot of stuff, may not be for everybody, by the way. So that's not specific advice. Um, but yeah, I tried to call them and. Uh, <laughs> They kind of spun around in circles a few times because they're really not set up to answer these sort of questions from their call center. Uh, so I tried to talk to about four or five different people and eventually gave up. Um, I don't know specifically. Um, if you look at their ETFs though, so I think they probably could make it available to more people quite honestly and I, I'd probably like to see them. I don't love thematic ETFs as everyone well knows. Um, but I think it's one of those situations where they are, they've got ETFs that are market broad market-based where they actually allow you to hold higher weightings of, of positions in those ETFs. And then you can hold individual stocks. And I think they've probably they've probably not kept up with the growth in non-index ETFs. So my guess is, having a look at their ETF, it's a big list of approved ETFs, but there's lots of them there, but not as many as you want, as you say. And it strikes me they've kind of gone, okay, over this side, we've got broad, diversified, index-based, low-cost ETFs. And you can have lots of those or big weighting of those in your portfolio. Now, so we've got shares and you can only have a small weighting of each because we want to make sure that we're doing our, fulfilling our fiduciary duty to make sure as trustees that you are doing the right thing with your super fund. That is, you're not taking undue risks. You're not uh, exposing yourself to losing the money in your super fund um, through certain investment decisions. Now, you might say, Adam, rightly, um, hey, I, I want more control over that. And that's what SMSFs are for to some degree. I think it seems like to me Australian Super have said there are stocks and there's indexes uh, or index-based funds and they just haven't kind of kept up as quickly with that. I wouldn't be surprised over time if they do allow it. Um, 
I, you know, I, I would be, I would be, as I'm not a big fan of them, honestly. So I, I, I'm strongly getting passionate about your view, Adam, because I'm like, nah, I'm not sure they're not actually helping most people by not making it available. Uh, but this is kind of the challenge of financial advice, right? It's like, what do you let people do and what do you protect people from? And I, I don't know whether Australian Super has taken a specific view of that or they haven't kept up. Um, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're just trying to be a, take a very conservative approach to the way they think about ETFs as diversified, large chunks of investing. And then there's shares of the other side, which are obviously, the, you know, smaller weightings in to make sure you're not taking undue risk in super. Mm. So that, that'd be my guess. Um, Ram, your, your thoughts? I use Australian super. Um, oh, do you? Yeah. Um, probably from my days hard before, to, actually. Hard to um, beat. Could be too. Yeah. I share Adam's pain though. I find it very limited. You know, as you know, I like outside of the ASX yes, 300. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of like every time I get excited, oh, I should yeah. put some of that into my super. And I like, oh, I can't buy that. Oh, I can't <laughs> buy that. Oh, I can only buy so much of this. And I, so I actually find it pretty frustrating. I actually find this site, you, you need to know quite a bit about the um, structure of what you can and can't do. So I, I think it's, I think it's, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the site. I'm a fan of the low <laughs> cost. I'm a fan of the ability to yeah, have some yeah. choice over there. But I agree. I, I don't, it, it does, it, it, it well, it's hard to say. Like on, 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 yeah, on a lot of yeah. ways you do need to protect people from themselves. I, I get where they're coming from, right? I get there. They've got people like, you know, you guys who are like, I know what I want. I want this stuff. I want outside the ASX 300. I want this ETF. Mm. Other people are like, hey, I've just heard the crypto ETFs. Great. I'm going to put all my money in crypto. It's like, oh, there's a, there's a like, if you're running a, if you're running a one size fits all fund, I, I absolutely, I absolutely hear their pain. I don't know how you fix it. Yeah, um, but I, I, I've got. I can see both sides really, really clearly on this one. If someone gave me uh, an option for my super that gave me broader choice, um, I take it in a heartbeat. Um, so I, I, I do find it a bit frustrating. But as you yeah. say, there's there's reasons as to why they do it. And to answer Adam's question, yeah. I'm not aware of any. So if yeah. anyone out there is going, hey, there is something similar that does give you broader, I'd, I'd be very mm -hmm. keen. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, it, it is what it is, unfortunately. It is. Um, I couldn't. I said I couldn't answer Adam. I, I did try um, a little bit uh, last week. I actually had this question last week, and I held it over to try and get an answer. Couldn't get a clear answer, um, which I think is fine. And no one's hiding anything. And by the way, kickbacks. I'm absolutely ninety nine point four eight percent sure there's no kickbacks involved. Um, I don't think Australian Super is in that business for that purpose. They're a not for profit. If there is a kickback, it's only helping other members anyway. There's no. There's, there's no. No one's. No one's kind of winning. From from that, there's no there's no twisted incentives there. So, um, if they are getting some money from ETF providers, it's possible, I guess. I can't imagine they're even think close so. to interested yeah. in it. No, yeah, they'd be more much more likely just the way. It, the, if they were the, getting kickbacks, they'd be a lot more on there. Put it that way. <laughs> that, well, that's actually that's the point. In, isn't show it? me the incentive, and I will show you the outcome. That, as yes, Charlie exactly. Munger says. That's, that's yeah. very very important. Hey, one's from James, mate. Hey, Scott and Ram, love the podcast. I've heard you both refer to the exposures that Australian banks have to overseas markets. While the RBA removed their 2024 interest rate guidance, there still seems to be a general consensus that variable rates will remain low for at least a few years. If, say, the Fed were to raise rates a lot sooner due to local inflationary pressures, could we see Australian banks follow suit, irrespective of the RBA's decision? Thanks, James. Um, now, we obviously talked about this on Friday, mate, so we probably don't need to do a heap of it. But he makes a good point just in terms of, and we've, as you said, we've already talked about in the past, the fact that Australian banks are borrowing a decent chunk. A large minority of their funding comes from overseas markets where rates, I mean, the RBNZ went up this week. Um, Canada, I think, has gone up or is going to go up. The US has already kind of marked its its path up. I think mm. he's right, right? It's, the rates are going to yeah. go up one way or the other. Yep, yep. They, so the answer is a very simple yes. So regardless mm -hmm. of what the RBA does, if offshore funding costs increase, it's going to, it's going to trickle down to your mortgage. Your personal loan, your credit card, or everything. It will. It has to. That's that the banks make the way banks make money is by lending out at a higher rate than what they borrow at. Mm. So if the, what they're borrowing at is going up, it gets yep. to a point where That's it's uneconomic. Yep. So they, they have to put it up um, or yep. go out of business. So they will. <laughs> and they to some are, degree, the RBA ends up being the balancing item on this, right? Like if, yeah. if the RBA won't have to go, if the RBA thinks right, if the RBA thinks it needs to cool the economy, if overseas market money markets are doing that for the RBA. It's going to have to do as much on local rates because it'll know mm. the mm. banks that put rates up anyway. So they will yep. work hand in glove with the circumstances that the banks find overseas. I have very little sympathy for the banks. Um, <laughs> I am but, surprised. But they do, shocked. They do say, they've said it in the past, when, a yep. long time, you have to think back, but you know, it goes up. It's like, oh, we've had to do it for funding, funding reasons. Yeah, and the, right. the, the media right. will report, oh, the RBA hasn't gone up and they're doing like, well, yeah. <laughs> That's that's just the way the structure. The right or wrong, that's just yep. how the structure is. They they're kind of right in that regard. Yes. They they have to put it up. 
Um, and so, you know, we are, we are, we are a, a citizens in a global community and an ever-increasing interconnected global community. And what happens in those – Australia is 2% of the global economy. Yes. So, you know, and in terms of capital markets and the rest, it's just like the US is just so dominant. Mm-hmm. And if things change there, it will change here sooner or later. It kind of has to. Yep, I agree. It's um, – yes, I think that's pretty straightforward. Funny enough too, you know, it's it, by the way, when the banks increase rates, when the RBA goes up, you also remember that they haven't had funding increases on their entire book. Like, yes, they the play RBA it goes both up ways. <laughs> the RBA goes up a quarter of a percentage yes. point. The RBA's bank funding probably goes up 0.15 or something like that because yeah, of yeah. The, the chunk. So, you know, they're, they're making a bit of margin there. But as you say, it works both ways. And yep. um, look, honestly, CBA's numbers last week, the shares fell 9% a day because their margins are being squeezed. So, you know, there's, I don't have a lot of sympathy for them either. The big numbers, though, seem very big. The margins they're making are really, really small. So I, I'm not uh, – I'm, I'm probably one of the last people to say they're profiteering or, in other words, in other ways, earning more than they should. Mm-hmm. It seems like a, re, a very reasonably moderate return um, mm-hmm. given you're, you're probably keeping, what, $1.50 out of every $100 worth of – of, of lending you do that that's not mm. that's not much so much yeah. Yeah. all right let's go to a question from Danny mate we're running through this is awesome hey Scott and Ram love the pod I tune in on one of my work commutes every week thanks Danny I'm an extreme opportunities subscriber and a better long term share investor so I enjoy your weekly insights I have one question for Scott oh no and it is in the form of why would I and others for that matter continue to pay for our Motley Fool subscription when every Wednesday you hand out one of the recommendations for free that I or others, depending on the service, pay for. I am, in fact, a small fraction of a way subsidising the tight backsides that tune in every week and get a great deal of detail for zilch. I get that you receive an ongoing commentary around these specific recommendations, but as you're always promoting long-term holding, I would argue that it is of diminishing value in context to the free information. Keen to hear your thoughts full on from Danny. Mate, I will let you jump in on this one after I've chatted, but I will give Danny an answer. Um, Danny, I don't blame you for being a little bit mindful of that. Uh, I will explain why we do it. I'll explain how I think it's useful and, and justifiable, and then you can decide. Uh, frankly, if you decide that your EO membership is not worth the money you're paying, then I completely get it. Uh, and if you decide to cancel and hang on just for the free stuff, that's completely okay too. Uh, so I'm not going to try and convince you to stay. You can decide what, you, what value you get and go from there. So let's go. <coughs> first things first, we do one... Stock recommendation every month, every week, sorry. Um, and they are from any of the Motley Fool's services. So first thing I'd say, Danny, is that um, you're not, we're not taking them only from Extreme Opportunities or anywhere else. They come from right across the spectrum of Motley Fool recommendations. Uh, second thing I'd say is they are points in time, as you rightly point out. And yes, we are long-term investors. Yes, we expect to hold those positions for many, many years. But we don't, on that stock of the week, update it when we change our recommendation to hold or sell. So if you're happy just to grab a buy recommendation every week from one of those free sources, that's completely cool. Go for it. Um, but if and when we t- change that recommendation, we're not going to be updating our YouTube and podcast audience on what that stock is. So that's that's just that's just that. Um, in terms of the value of your uh, membership, I, I said I guess that's completely up to you as to whether you feel like it's worthwhile. The the, the honest reality, mate, is that we are a mass market business. We would have to charge ten times the price you're paying. If we were to be a really small, uh, focused, uh, closed-off group, uh, and that would be completely fine too. We could absolutely have that. There are competitors of ours, really good competitors that I like a lot, who do that model. They have a small, very small number of uh, members, but they have to charge a lot to cover their cost base. Uh, We have a large number of members, and part of that is the marketing that we do, sometimes paid marketing, like ads and stuff. Other times... Things like this podcast, by the way, um, that you're enjoying and listening to. Um, now, we don't always do stock of the week or, or stock recommendations specifically. In fact, we used to do a whole lot more of that. We actually do less in the regular podcast now, but we do do that stock of the week feature. So, um, mate, I'm not going to try and justify it in terms of I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I'm not going to try and tell you I'm right. I'm going to let you decide what you think is right for you when it comes to the service. I think EO is really good value for what they do. Um, I hope that the value you get from both the podcast and from EO are equally valuable to you and they're worth more together than apart. Uh, we could stop doing the the, the free stock. Um, I, you know, the, but the thing about Motley Fool is for all of our marketing, all of our, you know, sometimes over the top emails, um, I get it, trust me. I don't do them, so I'm not responsible for them, but I get it. Um, you know, we actually are generally a business that's set up because we want to help people learn to invest. And part of that is actually just giving some free stuff. I do media appearances five nights a week on Channel 9. I do weekend sunrise on Sunday mornings. Um, I don't, we don't get paid for that. I don't get paid for that. I mean, I get paid my salary, but 
Uh, I don't get paid to work weekends. I don't get paid to work nights. We do it because we want to try and help people find a way to invest better. And so it's outreach. It's literally saying, hey, we think we're onto something here. We think we can help you come and do it. I, it's very possible, by the way, Danny, you found us through one of those, one of those uh, mechanisms as well. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's just the business model that we have. I get it if it's frustrating. I get it if you're feeling like we, other people are getting something for free and you're paying for some of it. I get it. Um, in some cases, you are. That, that simple reality is that, you know, the cost of our, our members pay for our marketing. That, that's kind of how the business model works, right? And, uh, but hopefully the marketing also justifies it because it earns those membership dollars and lets us keep our prices low. We haven't increased the price of Share Advisor. We're almost 10 years old, as I said. We haven't increased the price of Share Advisor in 10 years. Um, so, you know, there, there, are, there are puts and takes. I'm not, as I said, I'm not convincing you that's completely cool. I don't expect everyone to agree necessarily, but that's kind of what we do and why we do it. We're genuinely trying to help people and also raise a bit of the profile of our business. And that's, that's kind of the, the, the one-two punch. Remember, anything in your right? Feel free to be critical or complimentary or supportive. No, that's... that's- um, look, I, I, I guess I do the same. We, we have um, we've gone to a private membership model, so you can use Strawman for free. But 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 it, most of the stuff is restricted to to our to our members. And occasionally on TV, I'll say, "Oh, this is highly ranked" or something. So it's mm-hmm. kind of um, I would argue it's it, it's necessary in some. Mm. Ways because if especially when it's a direct question because then you then you're not answering it but <laughs> but I would also argue that members sort of get first crack at it that's and, also true and once once positions are built you kind of want everyone to to agree right because that <laughs> help help the thesis sort of play out but um, yeah yeah I, I get the point I totally get it. It's, yeah, a, it's a question of balance, right? It's a question of yep, balance. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I think I think you know because we were across the services, we do one a week. They're old after they're out, you know out. The members go first, as you say, around. That's a really good point. I didn't mention that. Um, yeah, it just it is what it is. We also do, by the way, stock of the week, where we cover stocks that we don't recommend. Um, that's not stock of the week. Stocks in focus on our YouTube channel, mm. and that's literally for the same thing, right? Bit of bit of SEO, bit of search engine optimization, bit of hey, some great content on YouTube. Bit of come and check it out. Um, I didn't wrap the the YouTube channel on Friday. I'll do it now. Um, go to YouTube and search for the Motley Fool Australia. We put content up there at least three videos a week. I put most of my media appearances up there. Um, you know, we're trying to help people, and and I get that. Um, Danny, to some degree, you feel like you're you're cross subsidising that. You kind of are, really. Like, let's be honest. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you. Um, but that being said, um, the company also makes a profit, and we have a Motley Fool Foundation, and you know, I could we could do less of that and save some money and, and actually have a more profitable business, um, at least on a per you know per person basis. Um, but we wouldn't have the degree of impact we're trying to have, and that's kind of, that's why this podcast exists, right? Yeah, it's about spreading the word and about getting some you know people. Um, to, to know what we're doing, but why do Andrew and I spend two plus hours a week every every week doing this? Because we're trying to help people. Um, so hopefully, hopefully that comes through. If nothing else, all right. Let's move on. Um, yeah, I hope, I hope that's okay, Dan. That's I try to be honest. That's just the straight the straight answer. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Here's one from Ben, mate. Dear Scott. As an extreme, oh no, not another one. Hopefully, as an extreme opportunity subscriber, I've been pondering this question for the past couple of weeks. I'm very interested in your thoughts. Having had a number of EO recommendations fall 20 to 30 percent in recent weeks, I've been pondering whether the potential upside of the service is worth the volatility and the downside risk compared to a Nasdaq 100 ETF. My recent thoughts have been that the companies in the Nasdaq 100 are creating the future, it's a line I use a lot, and still seem to have so much upside ahead of them, but without the downside risk associated with investing in microcaps. Given extreme opportunities exist as a service, I expect you believe the returns will be greater than only investing in the Nasdaq ETF, but I'm interested if you think the upside will be much greater than what the Nasdaq ETF will deliver over the long term. Many thanks, and that's from Ben. Um, I'm going to let you go first on this one, mate. It's a question of, you know, uh, service or not service. Do you buy a, a, a group of small caps or do you kind of go, you know what, there's a downside risk there. Why not just buy the ETF and go fishing? Yeah, it's an excellent question. Um, I I think for most people, the ETF is the way to go because it's just so easy yeah. um, and, and you guarantee the average and you know that yeah. the average is probably going to be good. Yeah. Um, so if you go- Over the, the long term, we should say, just to- Oh, yeah, for sure. Just for to sure. fill it up. Yep, yep, yep. Um, but even the NASDAQ ETF could fall 30% and, yes, and will at some point yeah, yeah. more. Um, but I, I think there's, I think the reason that you go direct is, well, the only, well, two, two reasons. One is because you think you can do better, yep. uh, obviously. But I think the big thing that's undersold is it's because you enjoy it. And I know that's, yeah. that's not 
sort of a financial answer, <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm an investing nerd. I, I, I just, yeah, I love really the process. Are. I love learning about businesses and what they're doing yeah. and how they're yeah. going about it. I just, I do it because I enjoy doing it. Mm-hmm. So if I'm on my deathbed and I look back over my investing career and I've underperformed the market by a couple mm-hmm. of percent, I probably won't have any regrets because I've, I just, I've just, I, I just love doing it. Um, so I think that that's, that's probably not a rational answer, but I think I think that's a big part of it. And I know that you and I and lots of people listening are, are probably the exception to the rule. We talk to the average <laughs> yeah. person in the street. That's right. There is nothing more boring than that. Yep. And it's, that's yep. cool. I mean, there's plenty of things that I find boring that are really important and interesting for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I think it has to because if you if you don't have that interest, you'll give up. Mm-hmm. Um and if you give up, you sort of miss out on all the long-term compounding potential. So I think it's, I just think it's, it's a point that I would make if, if it, if you're finding it stressful, um, if, if you're finding it uncomfortable, if you're not enjoying it, then don't do it. Absolutely don't do it. Um, but also on the financial side of things, I think there is great perform, great potential for our performance, but our performance, and this is, I think a mistake everyone makes, and at least in the early stages is that success in investing is about having a high strike rate. Um, And I think probably the best example here is, speaking of the fool, is David Gardner, a Mm. co-founder. He's got an awful strike rate. Hi, David, if you're listening, but your strike rate is awful. Um, I don't work there anymore, so maybe I can be a bit more (laughs) plain speaking. But he's not going to care. And and the reason he's not going to care because he's he's, he's had insane returns. And when you're investing in these kinds of – this is – we've talked about it before. This is how a a venture capitalist invest. They'll buy 100 companies knowing that, you know, the majority will will go to zero. But those that win, win big. And so it's it's a it's I think when you especially with as I understand how extreme opportunities runs it's going to be a lot of small more speculative higher risk yep. companies and the strike yep. rates probably I don't know you can tell me I, I assume the strike rate's not great mm-hmm. but but uh, but it, it, you only need you only need um, you know two or three stonkingly great returns you know that they just cover all of that. Yeah. So I feel as though if you're a subscriber to that service or any other service, there's two ways to play it. I, um, I think you either need to just follow everything, like everything um, blindly, mm. or you have to use it as an ideas generator. That is, here's some smart people, good investors. They think this is worth a look. But then, <laughs> oh, I should have put my phone on silent. Um, <laughs> that, is that you texting me, shut up? Um, <laughs> no, uh, but now you mention it. No. But, but, but but uh, you can borrow an idea. I know I say this a lot, yeah. but I just strongly believe it. it. You can borrow an idea, but you can't borrow the conviction. So yeah. I know plenty of professional investors mm-hmm. who run millions and millions of tens of millions of dollars in funds, in managed funds, who mm-hmm. subscribe to a whole bunch of newsletters, mm-hmm. even ones they don't have much respect for. And they do it because it's just it, – it, it's a way of um, scanning the market. It's a way of filtering the market. It's like, oh, here's an idea. But then you've got to take that idea and you've got to own it and you've got to run it and it's on you if you buy it. Sounds really harsh, mm, mm, but mm. I think I think no one. It's all care, no responsibility in, yeah, totally. in, in this industry, and that again yeah, sounds yeah, very yeah. harsh. But I think that's so. That's the two ways to play it. You say complete faith in the team that you're that you're paying for their ideas, and you just follow everything, mm-hmm. knowing that the strike yeah. rate's going to be yeah. low, but knowing that overall it would probably be okay, mm. and just rolling with the punches and the periods of underperformance and the big drawdowns on individual stocks. Or you just sort of say, "Hey, just give me some ideas, and then I'll take it from there." And and yep. that's how I would play it personally. Um, I, no, I think right. I think there's great value in doing that because I, and and a lot of the ideas that I come across through those services I reject. And some I really regret rejecting, uh, but, but 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 that's cool. You know, it's, that's that's how I. Use, so you've got to ask yourself very clearly: what are you subscribing for? And yeah. and yeah. if if it is for the latter reason, then then use it in that way and and take ownership. And it, mm. again, I know that sounds harsh, but it, you've re- no one cares more about your money than you, and no one knows more about your personal totally. temperament yep. and biases and yep. life situation than you. So there's a reason why it's called general advice. Legally, it has to be, but, yeah, it's, all, right. but it's also something that you have to take very seriously. And mm. um, yeah, so so I don't know. What, what would you say? No, I, think, I think it's a really good summary, mate. I think if we go back right back to the, the, the nub of the question and come back as you did, um, I, I agree with your first point. For most people, they should do an ETF. 
I mean, you, know, you and I are in the individual stock business. But most people shouldn't do that. If they're not prepared for it, they don't want to put it in, they don't like it, they find it stressful, they're not good at it, they don't want to deal with the volatility, all that stuff, don't do it. But as you say, the NASDAQ itself will also be volatile from time to time. Oh, yeah. This is also life. 100%. Um, so, look, the only reason you would buy... So, the, 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 here's the really important... The question is spot on, right? There is more downside risk in individual companies than the overall market, by definition. Because mm. every year, businesses go, some businesses go absolutely broke. The market never goes to zero. So by definition, there's more downside risk. Um, now, the more companies you own, the more diversified you are, the less likely it is on a portfolio level. Mm. But that's the same with the ETF, right? The ETF will go up even when a company goes broke that's in that in that index mm. because the rest of the companies do well. So, you, you know, the put, think about, here's what I would say to kind of cut across. Your answer is spot on, mate. So I'm going to add something. And that is just that your portfolio is its own ETF, right? Mm. All your stocks are exchanged. I mean, not literally the portfolio as a whole. Your stocks are exchange traded and your portfolio is effectively a fund. And if you're buying, you know, hopefully 20, 25, 30 stocks and they're diversified and they're appropriate, you're going to get, you know, something of a return, plus or minus, uh, depending on how well you've done and what's hot and cold and all that kind of stuff, how diversified you are, as I said. Um, so that's, you know, to some degree, that's, that's you know, if you look at individuals, the problem that most investors have is they look at the stocks rather than the portfolio, right? Mm. So I've had people who joined Share Advisor, not EO, but Share Advisor and said, I joined Share Advisor, I bought these two companies, they're both down, you suck. I'm like, dude, I, I've never ever said buy two companies. I've never said, you know, I've always said buy at least 15 companies, do them as quickly as you can, hold for the long term, be diversified, expect volatility. If you buy two stocks and they're down, yeah, you've got more downside risk. You absolutely have more downside risk. Mm. Mm. Here's the other thing. Yeah, and this is, I, I really struggle with this ETF versus stocks argument, mate. We've had it before, I think, and I've commented on Twitter about it. Um, I, you know, overall, at, at, a, at a market level, everyone's going to get the market average because mm. the market is the market. So everyone gets the market result. Individually, some people are going to outperform, some are going to underperform by definition because an average is all the outperformers plus all the underperformers averaged. You can't have, you know, someone must outperform to be an average unless everyone gets exactly the same number, which is impossible. So there are companies that'll do better. There are investors that'll do better. And we think at The Fool, you think at Strawman, plenty of private investors think, including most people listening to this, it possibly is worth having a go trying to beat the market average. Because if you do it, you'll earn some extra money. Mm. And that's why you would do it. So the question really, I have no issue, Ben, if you listen to this and go, you know what? Thanks, guys. I'm going to go with an ETF. Like, great. Mm. If, if you don't like the downside, if the downside risk is overwhelming your your thoughts and your emotions and your, you know, if, if you're looking at the upside potential and the downside risk and going, all I can see is the downside risk here, then yeah. Grab an ETF. You should absolutely grab an ETF. I can't, sorry, I can't tell you what you should do, Ben, but an investor in this circumstance, if they are freaking out about it, grab an ETF. Sure, grab it. It'll still go down sometimes. The NASDAQ in particular, don't forget, by the way, 1999, was it 75-80% the NASDAQ fell, mate, between 99 and 2001 or whatever it was? Yeah, some huge tech number. Rank. So yep. the yep. NASDAQ has absolutely been smashed before. And now, by the way, most Australian tech stocks would have been smashed at the same time, but don't, don't, don't believe that can't be really, really serious volatility, particularly in a hot sector like this where there's not a lot of profits to go around, a lot of blue sky. And I think most of that blue sky will actually be, be um, flush. I've got, I own shares in the ETF, by the way, or units in the ETF. So I'm absolutely with you. Um, but I own many, many more individual stocks and I own more dollars in individual stocks than, in, than the NASDAQ ETF. So um, yeah, I, 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 that's not going to be the answer. Um, your bottom question. I'm interested if you think the upside will be much greater than what a NASDAQ ETF will deliver over the long term. Yeah, I think it will. I would, I, I would think almost by definition, if you can pick stocks and you're picking a subset of a group, even though we're not picking US stocks in EO, um, you know, if we do a good enough job at getting being right more than wrong and, and the, the ones that are right doing better, the ones that are wrong, then we should be able to outperform an index. So I, the, the intent would be we would expect that to be true. Uh, but, uh, you know, is it enough to, to overcome the worries and the, the emotional investment and the freak out and the, everything else? Maybe not. You need to decide if that's right for you. Can I make a related point? Please. Um, I actually wrote an article for our blog uh, last oh, nice. week. And Where would you uh, find that, mate? Uh, strawman.com slash blog. We'll just go to strawman.com <laughs> and hit, hit the blog. You wacky, you wacky creative types. You're really mixing up the names there. <laughs> strawman.com slash blog. Nice. Okay, no, yeah. Maybe it needs a better name maybe. No, um, right. The article is called Being Too Early is the Same as Being Wrong, which is one <laughs> yeah. of these sort of sayings in the market. And yeah, right. I, actually, I actually disagree with it. Oh. I think when you're shorting, um, that is, you're making a bet on a share price going down. If you're investing in a low growth company, I think it's probably mm. true. Okay. But I think when you're investing, and I mention it because we're talking about extreme opportunities and the nature mm -hmm. of the companies that they go for. I actually think it's not true at all. I think, right. in fact, being early is probably one of the bigger edges that you, you can have. 
So a couple of examples that I wrote in that is that imagine if you buy a stock and it goes sideways for three years yep. and then it doubles. And they, these are the kinds of companies that, that share prices can do this on because of the nature of the, the businesses they are. Yeah, yeah. You have three years. And that, by the way, that is a, that is a long three years <laughs> of you thinking this sucks, yeah. this sucks, this sucks, this sucks, this yeah, sucks. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the fourth year, you've actually, on average, it's a 19% compound return, which is yeah. double the market average. It's, it's a staggering return. Moreover, that stock could drop in half in the interim and it still mm-hmm. comes out at a 19%. So th- this is yeah. a this is yeah. a situation people are very fond of saying correctly, philosophically, when they're talking about life, that it's the journey that matters, not the destination. Mm-hmm. I would say in investing, it's the destination that matters, <laughs> not, not the journey. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And there's a, there's, a, there's a load of real-world examples. The one that I pointed <laughs> to in the article was zero. And this was back yeah, when right. I was working for the full and uh, Joe and Matt – um, two very capable investors recommended zero. It was at forty bucks. Mm. You remember this, right? Mm. <laughs> it just plummeted down to fifteen bucks, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And there were a lot of unhappy investors. Um, but let's say you bought at the start of twenty fourteen. Um, mm. Today you're sitting on an investment that has compounded on average at twenty percent per year for eight <laughs> years. That, yeah, that's impressive. Isn't it? That is a that is a staggeringly good return. Yeah. At one point yeah. you were down seventy something percent. Yeah, right. Um, and that, that is more often than not the journey that you have in investing in these things. So I'm happy to tell anyone who'll listen how well I did on <laughs> Prometicus or Pointera. Right, right. What I usually don't tell you is that I bought it and then for the first six to 12 months, it just went sideways. At one point I was down 30, 40%. It's normal. It's normal. <laughs> and so, and so what, I would, what I would really encourage anyone with investing is you're not wrong mm. because the stock goes down in price after you buy it. Right. You're, you're wrong because your, your facts and reasoning were wrong and it's yep. just not yep. borne out by the evidence. Yep. And, and that, that'll happen. If you're me, every time you buy a stock, guarantee it's going to go down the next day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just, it just happens. Yeah, yeah, but, don't, yeah. but, 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 but don't use – the market's there to, to serve, not to inform. Um, yep. If your reasoning hasn't changed – and the only thing that's happened is the, the sentiment on the market. That's actually a really great opportunity. Mm. So, so, so it might turn out that the stocks that are, and I'm, you know, I don't, I don't know overly well the stocks that, that that the listener mentioned there. Maybe they went down for very good reasons, and the and the thesis is completely busted. In which case, sell, yep. get the hell out. There's, yep. there's, yep. there's no point of waiting is going to make that any better. Mm-hmm. But if nothing's changed and they they they're down thirty percent, stay there for two years, and then go on to like five x, that's yep. an incredible investment. That is a yep. wonderful investment. So, so keep your eyes on the horizon is what I'm, what I'm saying here. And, and don't worry about being – being successful in the market doesn't mean being immediately successful. In fact, few people mm-hmm. are immediately successful. Yeah, you know, right. the, the people who do really well on, on these investments, by the time they're trendy and sexy and everyone's buying them, <laughs> you've got people who might have been in yeah. there for three years that just suffered yeah. all the – rolled with all the punches and that they got the most of the upside because they were there when it started, even though they were there too early. So anyway. Have, have a read of the article. I think it. I think it. I think it's worth saying because, like any good, you know, saying in the market, you've got to take it in context. And there's there's exceptions to the rule. By the way, mate, uh, Tesla, who I'm not a shareholder of, and I'm not keen to be a shareholder of, although I've missed a massive gain all the way through, uh, went from thirty nine dollars in November 2016 to thirty seven dollars in May 2019. So mm-hmm. it went backwards by three percent. Oh, not three bucks. Sorry, yeah, got it. Yeah. What's that? Eight percent, probably nine percent, mm-hmm. over three years ish, and then went up thirty fold. It's it, it's that's <laughs> so, the more you know, normal. That is the more yeah. normal outcome. T for growth companies, not 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 for bullies and yeah yeah yeah. yeah that, that's why I'm saying it's so it's it's only yes, true for yes, companies yes. where the upside potential is large enough. Yes. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And and and, and that's actually a pretty benign example because you only lost eight percent along the way. But everyone says they're a long-term investor, <laughs> but, few, but few of us are. And yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, think 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 about it in in those terms because mm-hmm. that's that's what it's it's the it's the destination. It's not the journey. Exactly. Um, so yeah, go go the ETF if you like it. Um, if you want to try and beat the market, you can't do that by buying the market. But equally, you're not going to lose to the market either. And that's absolutely a choice you should make. And if it's a right choice for you, then go for it. If it's not the right choice for you, that's completely cool too. Um, can I give a, Can I give a quote? Yeah. I, I think it was. Um, Oh, I forget his name. Don't say JP Morgan. We talked about No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> oh, it's escaped me. A US investor. Anyway, he said, investing is a game where you have to look silly for long periods of time. Yeah. Like which it. is so true. Which yes, is so true. Yes, yes. Like you can, you really do look like an idiot for a long yep. time and you just got to, you got to make your peace with that because that's, that's, that's going to be the experience, even if you're the best investor in the world. And, and I will say, by the way, so to, to double down on that, it's the growth companies that make you look stupidest. 
Yes. It's the afterpays and zeros of the world that we've just talked about. We are like, you can have massive conviction on it and be wrong for a very long period of time. Mm. And if it, and sometimes you're going to be wrong forever, by the way. <laughs> sometimes they, you know, I miss afterpay and, and it might be Get Swift or uh, Blue Sky Alternative Investments uh, yeah, where you're totally. like, I look stupid, I look stupid. Oh man, now I look really stupid. Yes. Others are like, I look stupid, I look stupid, I look stupid. I look a little bit less stupid. Oh, I made some money, cool. Yes. And you've got to have stuck, you've got to stuck through it in the process. Did you know, and here's a random one for you, mate, that I found out only on Tuesday. Realestate.com, apparently, according to Trevor Michesi, who works with me at The Fool, has a better return since IPO than Amazon. Did you know wow. that? Wow. Yeah. I didn't know. I, isn't that incredible? I okay. had no idea. Got to start using that as the example, the go to example now. I know. Isn't that amazing? Anyway, so there you go. Um, yeah, you know what? This is a tangent on a tangent on a tangent. Like we're so far off here. Um, I think that I, I own some US stocks. I own an Nasdaq ETF. Um, I think we get too fixated on US companies. We have a real cultural cringe as investors in Australia. That American companies necessarily are better and bigger and worth more and better invest in all that kind of stuff. And sometimes there are great companies in the US. I'm not saying there aren't, but I think we can kind of put away the cultural cringe a little bit. You know, the, the whole idea of like, oh, you know, it has to be a Tesla-sized business or Amazon-sized business, I own shares in Amazon, uh, or a Apple-sized business to be worthy. I think it's a real mistake. And I said like, you know, a dollar invested in REA, a dollar invested in Amazon, you earn money in REA. But we all talk about Amazon as if it's the, the Holy Grail or Apple's success as if it's the Holy Grail. Yeah, they're bigger because they're just bigger markets and bigger businesses. But, uh, you know, th- there is a lot of money to be made from quality businesses on the ASX. I just, I think it's worth just remembering that. I said, I'm, I own shares in the US. I'm very happy to. I own the NASDAQ ETF. Very happy to. There are businesses and industries available in the US we just don't have here. But just just be careful you don't do the, not you personally, listeners, just be careful you don't do the cultural cringe thing of like, oh, there's Australian tech, but it's not really good. I better invest in the US because that's where the proper tech companies are. It's just not true. Okay, it's a really great case in point. So I just, I just looked it up. So it must have, well, whatever it, the IPO price was, the first day of mm. trade, it closed at 91 cents. Right. So you're up literally, as of today, 174 fold. <laughs> what's what's that? 1,750%. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, it's an insanely good return. Yeah. Yep. But let's say you did go back in your time machine and you bought mm. at 94 cents. Yep. Within the space of one year, shares were 20 cents. Oh, Wow. You know, and, and uh, eighteen months later, <laughs> yeah. they were they, Hank. Wait for it. They were eight cents. Wow! So they went down ninety percent. All right. It go. took until January or February of two thousand and four before wow. you even broke even. Wow! Right. And 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 and, then. <laughs> and, and then, well, and then that happened again and again. So let's say we'll, right, we'll, right, we'll right. just bring up the chart. Love having some fun with charts. So you go, you go back to- Great for audio too, mate. Isn't it great? November <laughs> November 2007, you could have bought mm-hmm. REA Group at seven bucks and yeah. you would have had to wait two years to get back in black. And along the way, it got all the way down to $3.50. So 50% Halves. fall. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that hap- there's, there's a great chart that- And I then should- back to 100, as you said. Like, yeah. So it's not just back to seven, but back to seven, then to 100 on the way through- you just had, you had to put up with that fall. It, it, so there's some good, as I said, zero and REA. They, they're not out. They're, they're not unusual examples. There's a really great way of charting this stuff out against mm. audio format, so it's difficult. But what you do is you plot how far each, uh, how far the share has fallen from its most recent high. Mm. So you're always sort of benchmarking against the previous high. Mm. Um, and that that chart on any of the great success with Fortescue Metals, uh, mm. CSL, you name it. It is a it is a long and consistent here, period of underperformance and significant drawdowns, mm. and that's why very few people realise the, the wealth creating opportunity there. It is the stereotypical little old lady with the purple hair who forgot about the shares, <laughs> who held on that entire Came back way. And went, wow, look at that! Yeah, has right. made the fortune, and it's just I, I, it's easy to say, and it's yeah. very hard. people. I think everyone will probably nodding along with this, mm-hmm. but you, you you imagine you've put a significant chunk of your life savings in that mm. and then it drops 70% and then it yeah. stays there and three years later you're still under I mean that is that is brutal that is absolutely brutal so but <laughs> that's, that's why investing is hard and and that's why the returns are so great for people who do have the, the the patience and the discipline because that that is what you're talking about and that is why it's worth the suffering it's one of those things you need to um, have some empathy for yourself right if I mm. say to you would you like to buy a share that goes from one to a hundred Yes, please. Yes, I would. Yes, I would really like that. Okay, 
Um, if it was out along the way, would you would you still hold it? Oh yeah, of course I would. Of course I would. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, I would do that. Yeah, okay. Mm. All right. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you live that day by day, and for a thousand and eighty days, if my math is even close to correct, um, during that period, I'm going to yell at you. You're wrong. Mm. You're wrong. Mm. You're wrong. <laughs> and you're going to have to still hold. By the way, you won't know it's going to go to 100. It could go to zero yeah. or five or three or two or one or 50. But I'm going to yell at you, you're wrong for three straight years every single day. When you open your brokerage account, you look at that and go, oh, bloody stupid stock. I knew I should have bought that high-flying tech thing that was never going to make any money. Stupid idiot. Bloody, mm. you know. You can just have a, empathize with yourself going through that daily. Mm. Now, by the way, if I'm scaring some people out of investing in stocks, that's cool. Buy an ETF. You know, back, back to the question we had from Ben. If, if we're saying, hey, if you're hearing that going, I could never do that. Cool, great. I love that you know that now. Because now you can buy an ETF and not have to live through that grief because you're going to sell at the wrong point. The problem isn't necessarily just you're missing out. I, I own, I've said before, my own corporate travel management. They went from, well, 28 originally, but 18 or 19 before the COVID to mm. $5. I lost 75% of my investment over like a month or two, maybe max, I think. Ouch. You know? Ouch. And, mm. and like, honestly... How bad is COVID going to get? Is it going to get worse? Are people going to have a fly again? Are airlines going to be shut for years? Is, is corporate travel going to go broke? Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's so tempting to kind of go, I, I'm just going to stop the bleeding. Mm. If I sell now, I can't lose any more money. Mm. I'll just stop the bleeding, right? Which would have been the stupidest thing. And by the way, someone did. Lots of people did because every shares were traded at those prices right through that period. I hope there's no one listening. And if it is, I'm sorry to bring up the bad memory. But, you know, by definition, because there were trades during those days, we know that people sold at that price and went, I, I, I'm not doing this anymore. This is stupid. I'm not owning this stock. Now, hindsight's 2020, blah, blah, blah. But it's like the REA 1 to 100 story. You had to go through a lot of times when the market was saying to you, you're wrong. You're an idiot. What are you mm. doing? You're stupid. Mm. Look how much money you've lost. And by the way, sometimes you'll be wrong, as I said. But um, as Andrew says, if you're in this market looking at these companies, you will make big mistakes sometimes, hopefully, You'll have bigger, bigger winners that will, I mean. Well, and the point uh, being is um, that the winners will look like losers for a yeah, long time. For my part of it, yeah. That's yeah. the point. Yeah, like, that, like they will yeah. look like losers as yeah. zero, as REA did, as any, any uh, Afterpay was eight bucks last year, right? Yeah. After being much higher. So Exactly. Right, well, one thing, one thing I just on. encourage people to <laughs> no, do, and this is just more broadly true, is like if you're going to look at a chart, look at look at, look at a um, bar chart of the earnings. So just plot, plot the uh, the earnings per share or the net mm, profit mm, each year, mm. and there's no such thing as volatility for these companies. You just see a staircase. Right, right. Yeah, you have the occasional year where things that not, things don't go great, um, but you have this staircase that marches up. There's no volatility yeah. there. There's yeah, there's yeah, there's yeah. this share price that moves all over the place. Yeah. Um, it's that analogy that we're very fond of too. It's like the 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 dog walker going yes, I love from that. from Central Station down to to Circular Quay, but he's got a dog on a very long leash. Now, if you're trying to figure out where that dog is going to end up, don't watch the dog. They're going to be ducking down every single alleyway <laughs> and sniffing every single all over. They're going to move yeah. all over. You never by watching that dog over over a you know a, a yeah. one minute interval, you'll have no idea where he's going to go. But mm. if you're smart and you're watching the the, the the dog walker, in our case, the the earnings of the, the company, mm -hmm. you'll know exactly where that's going to end up. Whatever the dog does, he's ended up at Circular Key because that leash, no matter how long, is going to drag him there. And that's that's what earnings are going to do to share prices. You, the market cannot resist that for indefinitely. Um, so that, that's the thing to focus on. Beautiful, mate. Well said. Question from Ryan. Hi, guys. I'm Ryan, and you listen to your podcast, which are bloody great. Thank you, mate. I learn a lot from each podcast you guys do. I have a burning question that's unrelated to shares or investments. Oh, no, not property. No, it's not. It's all right. I hope that's okay. He says, I wanted to pick your brains and get some guidance or advice. I'm currently working as a credit analyst at a bank, and I'm studying my master's in finance. My passion lies in investment and equity, uh, in investment and as an equity analyst. Do you have any tips or guidance around how I can enter those fields or which entry point of work I would need to change so in future, I can enter these roles. Much appreciated. Regards, Ryan. What do you reckon, mate? Um, got any gigs going at Strawman? Say again, sorry? You got any gigs going at Strawman? No. Any jobs going? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, what should Ryan do, mate? Um, How can you be the next Andrew Page? <laughs> oh, you wouldn't wish that on anyone. <laughs> um, I, I think that what is becoming more – I've – this is anecdotal, but I've noticed more and more, particularly the boutique fund managers, mm. will pay a lot of attention to people who have kept blogs 
and public track huh. records. And yeah, nice. it's, a, it's a great way. I mean, a lot of, you know, people with fancy degrees and, you know, nice CVs, actually dime a dozen really. Um, <laughs> and, but, but someone who's, who's kept a journal of their thinking, who's put out, you know, that shows mm. themselves mm. As, as a learner and as a thinker and has put, put themselves out there for all to see what's and all. Yep. Actually, I think that is, and it's so easy to do because anyone can set up a website these days, mm. click, of a, mm. click of a button type thing. I, I, I'd be I'd be encouraging you to do that. We've actually had people, members on Strawman that have used their Strawman portfolio when applying for a job because it shows a, a public track record. You can't you yeah, can't nice. cheat the system, so yeah. it's not it's not a blatant plug for Strawman. But all I'm saying is, <laughs> I think I think that's I think that's an underrated way to. So when you go into an interview, you can sort of say, "Hey, have a look at this," and and they will and they will actually. I actually know of more several fund managers I've spoken to that have actually gone for the person that isn't formally classically mm, trained mm. that they actually they actually that in, in sorry for those that have it but in some ways they actually see that as a bit of a negative because yeah. you've you, you sort of uh, different thinkers yep. yeah yeah they they, they 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 want they want they want people it's actually a, a people with a different backgrounds can actually bring a lot a lot to this industry which is a fresh perspective and they're sort of coming in cold so yeah yeah right mm. right Put yourself out there, and and then you you, you build up a really wonderful uh, bank of content to point people to, and I think that'll go a long way. I love that answer. I've never thought of that answer. I really really like it. Um, yeah, there are kind of two streams of uh, the, the problem is there are two streams of kind of access, right? The, the traditional funds are going to want the traditional qualifications, and the more maverick mobs are going to happily take things as you say, like the the different thinker and whatever. If you want a job at one of the mainstream funds management businesses in the city, any city. You probably need the CFA qualification. You probably need the, you know, you need to tick some academic boxes and that kind of stuff. And they're going to run pretty traditional recruitment processes, generally speaking. Um, then the, the smaller different guys are going to be looking for different types of skills, either skills they don't have or specific ways of thinking or whatever. And in that case, to your point about the the blog, mate, I think um, don't just do stock picks in that blog. I mean, do it by all means, but do um, expand your thinking, explain your thinking so they can people can see how you're thinking. If you look for that sort of job. Um, the way you're thinking about this stuff, the insights, the observations—that's super, super useful. And by the way, to get um, to get some of that thinking, um, go to Strawman, go to the Motley Fool, uh, go to some of those other blogs, and actually learn from those people as well. Because no one expects you to have completely unique insights on everything. Like it's not possible. There's just too many of us out there all trying to come up with stuff. No one's going to have absolutely unique insights. Mm-hmm. Um, but but help yourself develop as an investor by reading what other people are saying and thinking. It's often super useful as well. Can I add one more point here Please. too? And uh, um, there's a, more than a few people I know in the industry who were attracted to it because, as Ryan sort of said, that they love investing. Mm-hmm. They love the whole yeah, process. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. I do too. Unfortunately, the reality of the job actually <laughs> kills yeah. you a little bit inside yeah, because yeah. you are subject to the institutional imperative. You're measured on very short time frames. It's a very mm-hmm. high-stress job. So it's kind of the analogy I give, it's like, I don't know if you know any chefs. I know a few. I don't. And, and don't. they have toasted cheese sandwiches for dinner. <laughs> yeah, right. Because they're cooking all day. Yeah, you know, it just yeah. takes the joy out the of it. The last thing I want to do is come home and cook, yeah. The last thing yeah. you want to come home is make a souffle. Um, and, and I think that's true of a lot of pro- professional mm-hmm. um, investors as well. It's sort of like, oh, man, we need to do something because we need a new idea. Okay, we'll come up with this. Okay, this, 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 <laughs> this thing will kind of do for now. Yeah, and yeah. it's just like you get back and it's like, oh, now I've got to look at my normal portfolio. Plus I've probably got a whole <laughs> bunch of trading rules and restrictions, which means I can't do that anyway. Yeah, just, yeah, it it yeah. kind of kills you. No, I'm, 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 I don't want to generalise here because there's mm-hmm. exceptions to it all, but I do want to put that out there as something to think about. Mm-hmm. I went and spoke to uh, someone uh, recently who used to work for another um, newsletter and I was with a friend and they were thinking they wanted to start a fund. And his advice was why? And he goes, oh, yeah, I really love investing. He goes, yeah, but we'll take your money and invest. You don't have, <laughs> you don't have clients to answer yeah, to. Yeah. You, don't have, you, don't, you don't have to write reports. Mm-hmm, you don't have mm-hmm. to. You just, you just do what you love when you want to do it. <laughs> and so you get what you want. I mean, you, you need mm-hmm. a certain capital base to sort of be able to do that as a living. But mm-hmm. I think he was spot on. It, it, it's the, 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 the job in the professional funds management industry is often very different to how we expect it to yeah. be. Um, and it's not for everyone. So it's, it's yeah, yeah. I, just, just, I, I like a, just a point of consideration. Yeah, no, I like that. I and mate, you and I have been lucky. You're doing your own thing. The Motley Fool is a very, very unique business. Um, I'm not. I'm not stuck at a desk writing, you know, 58 page reports till nine o'clock at night. You know, it's, it's not our way of of doing business. And I think we do it reasonably well. But the standard stuff is 
yeah. folk, cover and industry. Mm-hmm. Um, follow these seven companies, write really long, big, thick reports with five-year projections for EBITDA and yep. SG&A and revenue gross, par- gross margins. And, and, you know, it's all fine. It's not bad. It's just um, it, it's just you know what you're getting into, as you say, mate. And, it'd be, yeah, yeah. I take a lot of that. Do something for a job and do something else for a hobby, and investing can be a wonderful hobby even if it's not a job. Yeah, I find, and not I shouldn't say most, but certainly a meaningful (laughs) number of brokers I meet are Mm. inch deep, mile wide. So you can ask them about a stock, and they'll have an opinion, Mm. but Mm. but but it's not very deep because their job requires them to have an opinion on two hundred stocks. So they're kind of jack of all trades and master of none. Whereas some of the best investors I know, you say, "What do you think about that stuff?" Never heard of it. Mm. That's it. That's that's the, that's their opinion of it. Or mm. oh, I don't know. If, yeah, they do. They're not not interested. But then you come across one of the the twenty stocks they know intimately well, and you can't shut them up. Yeah. They'll talk about it for the next four hours in the level of D. And that's their edge. That is their edge. Mm. And mm. and unfortunately, you don't you don't you're not afforded that luxury in the professional world because mm. you need to have a view on on everything. I was on Osby's the other day and I think the host might have been getting a little annoyed with me because like, I don't know, I've never, I heard about this yesterday afternoon when your producer <laughs> sent it through. I can't in good conscience recommend this mm. or otherwise. Mm. I mean, I spend weeks and weeks on anything before I buy it and I've got the luxury to do that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, so anyways, just, just, some, just some, some food for thought there, Ryan. Yep. But I wish yeah, you, I wish you every success in in in, in your in your journey because it it, it, it can also be a very uh, rewarding one. So yep. yeah, um, I will add very quickly the the opposite or yeah the opposite to that inch de- inch deep mile wide is inch wide mile deep. And so if you're <laughs> an industry analyst in a particular, if you're a banking analyst for a major firm, you probably get paid a lot of money by the way, which is wonderful. But you probably spend your entire life covering six companies, mm. and that's not bad except if you're told what to cover. Then, if you're the banking analyst, you don't get to look at this new cool biotech startup or this retailer or this miner, right? You that, that you you live banking, and so that's your that, yeah. that's that's as broad as your remit goes. That's fine. It's completely like no bad. Nothing. If you want to do it, do it. Mm. Just be mindful. That's you know, like again, Andrew, and I get to kind of cover the waterfront. Oh, we have no industry mandates at the full. We're literally looking for best ideas. We're not forced to cover stuff that's rubbish, so we don't. Um, so it's yeah, it's just it's just a, it's just a different story. Yeah, mate. Let's finish off with a crypto question because I can't help. Oh, excellent! Yes, I can't help myself. I can't help Zoe. Is, is the problem because Zoe says hi, Scott, Andrew, and team. That's just us. Um, although the member service team do send this through, which is nice. I believe you'll be a cryptocurrency podcast soon. We're not going to Zoe because we got a couple of questions, but they're kind of dribbling in, and rather than holding them, we're just going to roll them up. Oh. Um, I thought we might get a lot of questions about it. We didn't, which is frankly just nice for me, but not not so nice for Andrew. <laughs> uh, but we'll answer the questions as they come through if we can help. Why don't you can answer? What do we look out for when selecting a platform to invest in crypto? What do we need to look for to ensure we are keeping it safe? Are there any platforms you can recommend purchasing through if we wish to purchase specific currencies rather than an ETF? Many thanks, Zoe. Mate, I have got zero idea. The running joke, which has been around since you were here the first time around in the podcast, is I used Coinbase to buy my crypto and I still realised there was no sell button on that Surely app. that's changed. Have you checked that? That yeah, just doesn't yeah, seem I, right. I, I, no, I literally did. I literally did. You, you've got the option of, um, of, of, I think it's, I think you've got buy or, and the, the sell option is just kind of send to another wallet or something or change to another crypto. I can't remember. I'm going to uh, do it right okay. now. Yeah. Uh, live on live on air, mate, because it's fun. So I'm, I'm in the app already, which is cool. So opening the Coinbase app, I go to my portfolio. I click on the Bitcoin that I own and I click trade. And the options are buy Bitcoin or convert Bitcoin to another crypto. <laughs> <laughs> there you can actually go, mate. There's on the screen. Can you see well, you need there? to change apps. Um, anyway. There's a, there's a zillion of them out there. Um, I use one called Independent Reserve, which is an Australian one. Um, cool. And they recommended to me from a friend. Uh, you want to look at transaction costs. You want to look at their sort of custodial type arrangements or whatever, but they seem pretty good. But there's 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 a lot of them that are that are that are mm-hmm. out there. Um, go for any of the major ones. I think you're probably pretty safe. Uh, it's like it's like stockbrokers, right? Like you know, is there much of a difference between NabTrade and Comsec? And yeah, yeah there are, but but then not 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 in any of the really important ways. I would say, um, mate, the, the only thing I would say, because some, some of those outside crypto, even when you say Independent Reserve, one of the major ones, I have, I wouldn't, couldn't even, I couldn't have even named Independent Reserve, and I can't do another crypto app. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, on, on Zoe's behalf, I will say it's harder. We all know Comsec. Most of us know Nab Trade. A lot of us know IG Markets because we've seen the advertising. So you kind of can guess at the biggest ones. Mm. I honestly couldn't tell you. I couldn't. If you'd asked me and said name a second crypto app after Coinbase, I couldn't have done it. So it is a little bit harder for those of us outside the. Um, 
<coughs> cult um, to uh, to uh, work out um, which is which is the bigger ones or what are the more reputable ones. So it, it, I, I I take your point absolutely, um, but just mm-hmm. on Zoe's behalf, I will say I wouldn't have I couldn't have told you what the options were. Yeah, try try to avoid the, the obscure ones. Go for ones that are a bit more established and a bit more backing, and yeah, you'll be okay. Very good. Mate, we're done. We've run out of time. The great news, well, not great news if you're waiting for have your question answered, but the great news for us is lots of questions and we hope to get lots more. One more call out. Please email us, info at fool.com.au or hit us up on one of the socials. I won't do that whole rigmarole again. Um, hit us up on one of the socials to send us your questions that you want us to talk about, even topics. If there's topics you want us to discuss, it's kind of a question by definition, but it's like, yeah, I was, I've always wondered about X or could you guys talk about Y? Um, it doesn't even need to be a direct question if it's just a, an interest, area of interest. Um, preferably not crypto or property because I'd like to get a word in. Um, and, uh, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll try and cover that over the over the Christmas New Year period. Mate, thanks for joining me. You come back next Friday? Absolutely. Wouldn't miss it. Good man. Until then, thank you for spending your time with us. Full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.